Hey everybody, Wasilla Steve here from Alaska. You know, I listen to five or six podcasts regularly, and one of them is the handgun world. And why? Because I too am a cancer survivor. And because Bob survived cancer, and I survived cancer, Bob got the pleasure of teaching me in two of his classes, and boy did he ever enjoy that. And I'm not trying to brag or anything, but he taught the best student he has ever had. That being my good friend who attended the classes with me. So here now, a true survivor, a great American, and hands down, one of the best instructors I know, Bob Maine. <laughs> Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 478 to be exact, I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. This episode is going to be a continuation of my last episode with Ben Branham. This time we were in the Handgun World mobile studio, headed out to a competition match, and we just talked about a lot of things. And so that's kind of why I say this is kind of another mixed bag with Ben show. Because it is. It's a mixed bag of gun discussion with Ben Branham. Let me just mention real quick that this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of awesome awesome holsters, concealmentsolutions.com. And if you go to my YouTube channel or the one that I have with Ben Branham called Modern Handgunners, you're going to see us using and demonstrating the new competition holsters by Concealment Solutions. Uh, check them out. He made them for our M&P guns, but he makes them for just about anything out there. The new competition holsters by Concealment Solutions, they're really good. Check them out. So a little bit of feedback that I want to share with you, feedback that came from some listeners, some emails and some things and some iTunes reviews that I want to share with you. I've, I've had some real good comments lately, and thank you. If you've never given me an iTunes review, please consider doing so, uh, or you just want to send me an email, that's great too. It's always welcome, and I like hearing from you. And even a voicemail, 210-646-1727. I'm going to have some voicemails I'll be talking about in the next episode upcoming towards the middle of May. But again, that voicemail number, 210-646-1727. So I got some feedback recently, and the listener was wanting me to address off-body carry. 
And so that's something I'm going to not cover in this episode because it's already going to be long enough. But I'm going to push that out to the middle of May. Off-body carry. There are some advantages and disadvantages to off-body carry. In other words, carrying a gun where it's not actually on your belt or inside your waistband or not in your pocket, but in a separate bag somewhere and even in a vehicle. I've covered this before, but I've learned some things over the years that I'm going to share with you. I'll say this kind of a little preview to the next episode. I don't really recommend off-body carry. I don't recommend it unless you absolutely can only carry that way. These days, I mean, this is May 2019. There are so many cool ways to carry a gun. There's so many excellent products, excellent holsters, excellent belts, things that just work so well to carry a gun. There's really not an excuse from a wardrobe standpoint. I don't think there's an excuse from a wardrobe viewpoint to not carry a gun. Now, if you're in a forbidden area, well, then obviously there's an excuse. I don't want you to break the law. So if you're in a legally forbidden area to carry a gun, that's different. You can't even off-body carry in those places either because you're not allowed to carry. But if you can carry, there are, are not too many cases where off-body makes sense. There are a couple... I can think of a couple reasons, and I'll be covering those probably the next episode coming out on May 15th. Please remember to join our Shooters Club. Ben Branham and I have a great instructional video website. Um, it is a, a pay website, $8 a month, $75 a year. You'll support my show and Ben Branham's show at Modern Self-Protection, and you'll be supporting the work we do at Modern Handgunners with all of our gun reviews and everything. So I hope you get a lot of value from this. I also want to mention that ammo.com no longer sponsors this podcast. Ammo.com no longer sponsors this podcast. Um, the agreement that I had with them terminated recently. So I, I really don't want to get into a lot of details. I'll just leave it at that. And, um, Ammo.com, no longer a sponsor. Used to be the uh, the website, ammo.com slash handgunworld. But continue to support us through the YouTube channel, Modern Handgunners, through the website, the Shooters Club pay-per-view website, or membership website, I should say. It's not pay-per-view. <laughs> membership, $8 a month, $75 a year. That's, I think, the greatest value that you're going to get supporting us. And because there's about 80 videos on there, Ben just put up another new one recently that really teach you a lot of good things. My Amazon store, uh, please, if you're going to shop on Amazon, go to the Handgun World website first, handgunworld.com. Go to my Amazon store, go through my store, and you can support me without spending any extra money. That's that's a cool way. And of course, please remember to, to support the sponsor. I do have concealmentsolutions.com. So let's get on with the topic matter. While Ben and I were in the Handgun World Mobile Studio, headed out to a competition match. I'm in the Handgun World Mobile Studio, and once again, I got a I got a special guest, frequent guest, and uh, I've lost how many times he's been on the show, but he's here, Ben Branham. Yay! I'm here on the show again. Woohoo! Thanks, Bob, for having me. 
it's fun to be on the show. You guys all listen and do some great feedback and uh, get smart questions. So glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. Ben's, Ben's podcast is Modern Self-Protection, in case uh, you didn't know. And I want to let everybody know right now before we get started, this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of fine holsters. And by the way, speaking of their fine holsters, uh, we're both wearing our competition M&P holsters that Jason made, right? Uh, well, no, we're going to the range, and I'll be using mine there. I'm actually wearing my concealment, my normal concealment rig, because uh, I stopped to get a donut on the way ah. to your house, so I didn't want to walk in with that open carry holster. Jason, it's a great holster. I'm going to go use it in competition, but I can't do open carry without an active retention device. They just, I, just, I, I don't think you should do it at all. Texas actually flirted with the idea when they went to open carry law that that would be part of the law that you had to have a retention device. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't because government screws everything up, <laughs> but I really think this is one of the few shoulds you have to do. is you, If you're going to carry open, you should have some kind of retain, uh, active retention device. Active, active retention device. So a thumb brake, uh, Blackhawk Serpa holsters, as much as I hate them, they work pretty well. Um, Safari Land ALS, that's my favorite one. Um, the thumb drive holster by 511 and Blade Tech. There's a thousand of them out there that work really, really well. Um, just so somebody can't walk up behind you and snatch the gun out of your holster. Bob has got out of his house into his car. He got into his car in the garage, or yeah, in the garage. And then we're driving to the range. We're going to get out at the range. So it's a little, a little different open carrying at the range than going around normal places. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. And these, uh, these competition holsters that Jason made for us. You're going to see on video pretty soon at the Modern Handgunners channel. You'll see us using, doing some speed drills. That was fun. We were using these uh, Concealment Solutions holsters. That was good. You get 10% off if you use the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD. Uh, So, Ben, I want you to start talking about, you spent a little bit of time with my Glock 48 after we went last Saturday and got our filming done. For our Modern Handgunners YouTube channel, which you should all watch, subscribe if you haven't, what did you think of the G48? I like the G48. When we shot it, it was great. When it's keeping up, it was just a Glock 19 that's skinnier. It was perfect. 10-round magazines, that's great. The butt's a little bit skinnier. The trigger reach was better. You know, you mentioned that on the video, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is way shorter. So I might have to get one for my wife and get her away from the 19 and 248 just because it would be way better. She has really short, small fingers, so that would probably work with her. The 19 is a little bit too big for her. I can see her reaching with the fingers, especially the trigger fingers reaching too far. So that's a problem. But the 48, yeah, I had it. I wore it around the house. I was trying an appendix and uh, didn't work out. I got too much tactical shelf. I haven't been able to get an appendix to work for me forever. The tactical so, shelf. You know, appendix is not for me. But the 48, uh, that's the only holster I had. Or me and my wife went to a black tie event. And it would have been the perfect holster for that behind my hip. You know, super perfect skinny, gun for that. Perfect gun for that. Sorry, in the right holster. In the right holster behind my hip. Nobody would have seen it underneath a jacket that I was wearing. Um, all of that good stuff. The magazines are thinner. 
all of that good stuff. It would have been a great gun there, and I would have had the 4-inch barrel, 10-round magazines. If something really bad did happen, it didn't, but, you know, what's the odds of something bad happening at Black Tie Affair? Well, this one was to benefit uh, women of domestic violence. Yeah. And they had a couple speakers, and, man, I didn't know the numbers. One of the numbers she threw out is that 75% of ladies that leave a really bad domestic violence situation end up dead really? from their attack. What? 75%? Yeah, 75%. End three up out of dead? four. Ooh. Yeah, so... Whew. Well, that means these ladies need to be carrying. Yeah, they need help, and so I was Without like... Without exception. Yeah, there was a cop there, but I was like, huh, well, I'm glad I'm carrying in case one of these idiots shows up. Uh, but I was carrying my little shield. It's got eight-round magazines, a three-and-a-half-inch barrel. Hey, you, you're, you're pretty good I, there. I'm pretty good with that gun. But honestly, the Glock, I even just shooting that Glock 48 once, I was more confident in my skills with that Glock 48 than I am with the shield. Really? With the longer sight radius, the little bigger grip to hold on to, faster yeah. magazine changes, uh, more rounds on board, all of that stuff. I was, I, I would have taken the 48 if I had had the right holster for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Glock 48 is definitely a home run. Uh, the 43X... I just seem to shoot better. I mentioned that last week uh, when we were doing the videos. Maybe that was just last week. You know, conventional wisdom says you should be able to shoot the Glock 48 better because of the long sight radius, but we all know about conventional wisdom, right? Yeah, and I think it's more <laughs> recoil impulses. Yeah. And how you grip and how you're built and how your bone structure is. Um, like, for me, a Glock 34... The long slide Glock should be a wonderful gun to shoot. Yeah. Super easy, light, move. I don't like the recoil impulse on a 48 at all. I, I you know, for, uh, uh, a 38. Glock 34. I'm sorry, a 34. Yeah, I don't Long either. slide, double stack, 9mm. I don't like a Glock 34 either. And I don't the, like the recoil impulse. And the 40 caliber 35 is even worse. That's even worse. Even when you're shooting bunny fart loads. Yeah. For all you that don't know, a bunny fart load is the lightest you can like make the gun run with. So that you can shoot competition and have no recoil. And make power factor. Yeah. Well, some of them don't even make power factor. Some of them don't, yes. Which is speed <laughs> times, you know, weight divided by constant, blah, blah, blah. And those are the real bunny fart loads. Yeah, but that's what a bunny fart load is. And it's, yeah, I've shot all of them with it. And I don't like the recoil impulse. The recoil impulse of a Glock 17, a four and a half inch barrel, is a little better. Yes. But the recoil impulse on a Glock 19, for me, is perfect. It's a four perfect. inch barrel... And that mass, that amount of mass moving on the slide is just perfect for the way I shoot, the way I track, the way I grip the gun, the way I stand, all of that stuff. So I can definitely shoot more confident, easier with a 19 versus a 34, even though the long slide. And now, it's strange. I, I'm, I'm the same way. But that's why I think for you, the, the 43 shoots better because of the shorter slide. It's got a 3.5-inch barrel, 3.6, something like that. We'll call it 3.5. I know it's not exactly three and a half because they're Glock and they do millimeters. Give me a break. It's about three and a half. But it's a good half inch shorter on the sight radius. And when you take a half inch of slide off, you lose that much weight reciprocating on the top of the gun. So it changes the recoil impulse. And I got news for you. In auto loader guns, half of your recoil impulse you feel is that slide moving on top of that frame. Yeah, it's a Especially big part of the Glock. It. And that's a big part of it. Um, speaking of recoil, uh, since we kind of got on this subject of recoil uh, impulse, so today I'm going to be shooting my uh, M&P 2.0 compact, which I totally 
love. Uh, it, it's most likely going to be my new primary carry gun. M&Ps, for some reason, I don't know what Smith & Wesson did. Maybe you know because, you know, you've been through a Smith & Wesson armor course and all that. I don't know what they did, but their guns, to me, don't recoil as much as a Glock or a Walther or even a, uh, uh, a Springfield XD and a Ruger. I've shot all those. Well, we can why, talk- does, why does Smith & Wesson have such a, a soft shooting gun? Uh, I think there's five or six things going on there. And one of them, I think, is, you know, if you look at the slide on the Glock versus the M&P, there's a lot less mass there. Less? Yes. So you have yes. less mass moving on top of the gun. That's true. The, the M&P is a heavier gun, and the slide is heavier. Which yes. means they could put a heavier spring in there to yeah. suck up more of the recoil, which is cool. And everybody's doing uh, springs that get heavier as they go back, so the slide doesn't come back and slap against the frame, and you get a second recoil impulse. They're all just kind of, the spring gets harder and harder as you push it back so that it doesn't happen, and that makes it easier for you on the shooter, and then it accelerates it forward, so that's a different recoil impulse. And the other thing that Smith does that Glock doesn't is they put a bunch of steel inserts inside their plastic frame. In the 2.0? In the 1.0, too. They do? So the 1.0 had a couple steel inserts. The 2.0 has almost a whole like skeleton in there and a little aluminum skeleton to give it more mass and less less bendy <laughs> less give less give yeah. um so here's the secret that i tell everybody that's a glock fanboy look at your glock <laughs> where on the frame is your really cool serial number yeah they put that serial number on that little metal plate on the bottom of the desk guard right yes yeah, that little metal plate is not there to put the serial number on. It was a convenient cover-up, but really the Glock didn't have enough rigidity to hold the damn thing in place after a bunch of rounds. That would heat up and flex, and you'd get enough flexion where it would either make the gun stop or you'd lose the recoil spring. So that was bad. So what Glock did was put that little piece of metal right there to keep the gun from flexing that much, especially when you go into the Picatinny rails and you put a light on there now, and now it's hanging weight off of the front of that thing. So, yeah, it needs that little bit of rigidity there. So that's Glock. Glock figured this out in, you know, 1980-something. Yeah. So Smith & Wesson just took modern engineering and went a step further with it, and now we can drop all those metal parts in before before they... Ejection mold the front frame. Ah, really. okay, okay. So and then that's... they did more of it because, um, you know, engineering has come a long way since 1980, and manufacturing processes and guns have come a long way. So the engineering and design of the M&P 2.0, and, and by the way, it, I'm not sponsored by Smith and Wesson, as you guys know on my show. I'll talk positive about something that I actually use, bought myself with my own money. And you know what? If it's bad, I'll talk bad about it too, but not until after I've used it. And and I got to say, you know, for many years, for many years, you guys know I've been a huge fan of the Glock 19 as being the quintessential carry gun. And I still think it's the gun that everybody compares themselves to. So when you are the gun... Or when you are the manufacturer and everybody's comparing their gun to yours, what does that say? That says you're the top dog. But but I tell you, there's guns right now, and I've and I've shot a lot of them and tested a lot of them that are equal to or slightly better than the Glock 19, and the MMP 2.0 I think is one of them. And then 
as much as I hate Glocks and I've hated them forever, um, <laughs> I carried one for almost a decade, Glock 19. I carried it overseas in combat. The dang thing works. Combat Tupperware is correct. It works. And it still has a lot of really cool things going for it yeah. that the M&P failed at. I yeah. mean, engineering model marvel from Glock. There's a little bump on your Glock magazine on the top of the magazine. That's what keeps you from over-inserting your mag into the gun and breaking off, you know, parts that run your gun. Like, I don't know, the ejector, that little rod that hangs out when you look at it. That's important. Very important. Um, but Smith & Wesson didn't do that. You've got to index the bottom. It's the grip. So when you shove that magazine in there, that big base plate on your M&P mag keeps you from over-inserting the gun. Right. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, I can run a Glock stick 30-round magazine in an itty-bitty Glock, like, a, you know, the Glock. I can run a 33-round Glock magazine in a, in a Glock 26, yeah. and I've got no problems. I'm not going to break the gun. There's an argument whether I can put enough torque on the magazine to not align correctly in the gun so it doesn't feed, but I'm not going to break the gun by shoving the magazine in there. If I take my M&P, I'm carrying the 17-round old-school one right now, and I shove it into Bob's gun that's the 15-round, I can over-insert that magazine and start breaking parts inside that gun. Yep. If I keep, if I do a slide open or slide lock magazine change at speed and just shove that thing in there as hard as I can, the only thing stopping the from over-inserting is, one, the little spring that holds the magazine in place that is designed to be overcome as you push the magazine in, and then, two, the actual working parts of the gun that are in the top. So that was a piss-poor design, and it's not just Smith & Wesson. It's almost every gun manufacturer out there is doing that crap. Which is why they provide those sleeves that you put on the magazine if you're going to use a longer magazine than what the gun was designed for the sleeve prevents over insertion and then the sleeve has other problems too that everybody had found out it the moves. hard way yeah when we did the, we went to the shield a lot of people with the shield just start taking that sleeve off of the eight round magazine when it's only a seven round that fits flush and they start breaking internal parts yeah. well i got to give kudos to smith and wesson i had a couple guns that students have brought to class that I look at and are broken inside, but the dang thing is still running just fine. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to bet my life on it, but it was running good. Locks so, do the same thing. They just keep running, so, even if they're know, broken. Kudos to, to Smith & Wesson. It was still working, even though it was broken, technically. But still, you're over-inserting the magazine. You're causing problems. And, you know, I go, Murphy's Law, when it, when you need it to work the most, it's probably going to win it breaks and falls apart. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't trust anything, really. I, I trusted my M&P for the last five years until the front sight f- started falling off on it. But now you're using your backup m and So now right? I have my backup M&P on it. Yeah. So and, I keep two of them. And for listeners who may not know, we're on the way to, range, to the range this morning. It's a, it's a beautiful Saturday morning in San Antonio. We're headed out to AASA, American Action Shooting Association. Uh, we'll be there probably in about 15 minutes from now. So we'll have some more feedback for you after we get back from the uh, the competition match. So let's kind of shift gears a little bit to competition and let's talk about it. Um, at my house before we left, while my wife was uh, finishing up making my lunch, we were talking about how good it is, how important it is to get out and do some competition shooting, Ben. Why, why do you think it's important? I, I got my reasons. 
Well, because it will get you killed in the streets, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. It'll, I want to killed in the I streets. want to get killed in the streets, so oh, that's why I'm going competition shooting. <laughs> uh, competition is not going to get you killed in the street. It's good for you to get out there and work under pressure. It's good for you to get out there and have somebody else design courses of fire for you that make you do things that you may have not thought about right? or that you don't like to do and wouldn't do or don't care to do or, 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 or. There's or don't have the ability at the range you go to. Yeah, there's the next problem we have is do you have a range that you can run and gun at? Right. So I can stand, start standing and then start running and then draw my weapon and fire at multiple targets without them kicking you off the range and at speed too. So yeah, most ranges don't allow that unless there's a supervised competition match going yeah. on. And even then, most ranges are yeah. Uh, most ranges, unless it's a competition, they're uh, you know one round a second, no rapid fire, no out of the holster, no magazine changes. Yeah, no, you know, no nothing. So yeah, ranges are hard. So competition is good that way. But even if you have your own range in your backyard competition is still good for you it gets you under some false pressure no it's not going to be the same pressure as if somebody's trying to kill you but i gotta tell you it was exactly the same with training and competition for me in iraq i, I remember dropping into a spider hole to clear it with nothing but a flashlight in my mouth and a nine millimeter stuck in my belt and an extra magazine in my pocket yeah, not the smartest thing, but that was the only way I could get in there. I was the one that could get in there. Nobody else really knew rock climbing, so I ended up being the rock climbing guru and dropping in there and getting it done. Really? Well, so I got it done. But when I got it, I'm dropping in this hole, and I drop in there, and I start moving down this hole. And it's to me, I'm moving down with a flashlight in my hand because it's pitch black in there and 9 millimeter out and searching. And for me, it felt like being on the range, doing training and doing competition, looking through. I remember doing a competition in a shoot house, and it felt exactly like that when I was doing it for real world. I never found any bad guys in there, which is cool because, you know, 9mm and a little, really, what it was was a little concrete tube. Would yeah. It really sucked to have a gunfight, but you know what? I still would have won because I just don't lose when it comes to gunfighting. You know, and, and most of the time, Ben, you got experience with this. You don't get to pick when and how your gunfight goes, do you? No, and then that's the thing, is would I ever have picked walking down a concrete tube with a 9mm in one hand and a flashlight in the other, No, searching for bad guys in this tube that turns around, kind of, it's a square tube, but it, it was for maintenance and yeah. water and stuff to Saddam's palace. That's not your, I, uh, your ideal gunfighting tube. I wouldn't have done the same thing going down a long hallway in competition that I had. It was exactly the same. They put me under that scenario, and then I end up in the real world under that scenario, and it's close enough that it feels and looks the same. So I was just like, eh, yeah, I got this. Been here, done this. You know, I got the T-shirt, literally, from the competition. <laughs> yeah. So that was just the moment that I was like, competition is one of the greatest ways that you can train yourself out there. When you go to when you go to combat, and it actually feels exactly like your competition. So, yeah, yeah. And thanks, thanks for putting that experience into there, that light like that. I don't have those experiences to talk about, but but what I'll say, and I've said this many times, uh, we're going to pay a fee of like twenty five or thirty bucks, oh, yeah. and we're going to be there for about three hours, and we're probably going to shoot close to a hundred rounds. But we're going to get to do some things like drawing quickly from a holster and moving and shooting and shooting at targets at 
in strange configurations and stuff like that. And you just don't get to do that very often. And I think it's hard to have more fun for $25 on a Saturday morning than competition shooting. What do you think? Oh, I love it. You get out to meet all these people that are like you. That are Some of them are into the competition. Some of them are into self-defense. Some of them are just shooting for fun. All these people from different walks of life, you get to meet them and shoot with them, talk to them all the time, you know, play the game with them, talk about real world, real problems, real life with them, and you meet all these great people. That's why I like coming to these competitions. And then, yeah, for 25 bucks, I have access to a couple ranges, and I'll give you some of the prices. If I want to rent a range to one spot that I can do, and they he just does it by a day rate, the minimum price I have to pay him is $150. $150, yeah. If I want plus $25 a shooter. So, you know, if I bring all my friends and say we're going to split it, nope. That's a lot of money. 150 bucks plus $25 a shooter. So, that's expensive. The other range that I can do, I can rent a couple bays. Uh, one little tiny bay is like, what is what I rent that thing for? Like 15 bucks an hour. If I want to rent a big bay like we're going to use out here, it's $30 an hour. $30 an hour, yeah. Yeah, so the price is just, you're not going to get better training. And if you go to a real class... You know, what's a real class cost a day now? $200, $250 per day? For a four-hour. No, about for, for a four-hour. For a four-hour. You know, $400 a day, $450 a day. Yeah, maybe, so... Maybe $500 for some of the top trainers, yeah. Yeah, but now you know why our prices are so expensive when you do training, because it cost me... I mean, I did a private course. I made some good money, but I gave the range owner 300 bucks at the end of the day to use yeah. his range for six hours. Yeah. So, yeah, it's super expensive to use a range. And for 25 bucks, I can go shoot a competition. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing about competition shooting that I like is everything that it teaches you even when you're not shooting. Um, the safe gun handling skills. The effective and quick and easy and fast way and efficient way to draw your pistol. A lot of people don't realize that they think that shooting fast is the key to to doing well on a stage of competition. I, I, I beg to differ a little bit. How quickly and efficiently can you draw? Uh, you know, you're going to lose a lot of time on your draw if you screw it up. I don't care how fast you shoot the stage. If it took you three and a half seconds to get your pistol out of your holster, your, your time's going to suck. So, yeah. you know, how good are you at that? And and think about real life. Think about real life. Everybody's carrying their gun in their holster. Right? They better be. In a bag and or in it, something worse. Well, or in a holster. And so you're going to have to get it out of there. And you got your concealment garments on. You're going to have to clear your garments, get your gun out of your holster, and get on target. And I think in a self-defense situation, that's half the battle, don't you think? Yeah. That's... Uh, I. Before the internet, before we could actually watch videos of gunfights, I interviewed, got to interview three or four people, police officers that had been in gunfights. A couple of them, multiple gunfights. One of them that was in multiple gunfights, it mattered the speed coming out of his holster survived. The other one, it didn't because he was a police officer. He had his gun in his hand already. But when I asked them, you know, what's the most important skill that I can practice so that if I end up in your situation, I can win like you guys do? And all of them said... Drawing the gun to that first shot. Drawing to the first shot. That that was the thing they told me to practice. Yep. Forget multiple shots. Forget reloads. Draw that firearm to that first shot. And yeah. you know, one of them had gone to slide lock in a gunfight and had to reload. Um, one of them multiple targets. 
that he had to fight. Uh, so these were all, you know, bad, bad juju gunfights. And all of them said the same thing. Draw the weapon to that first shot. If you want to be a good gunfighter, that's what you do. So here you get the opportunity to do it under stress. Several times. And then the other thing I like that, you know, I just thought of what? where we're sitting here, is the culture of safety around guns yes. at the range. Yes. I mean, it's we get yes. too many... Too many false things, too many things get screwed up, and then you get lazy when it's just you. But if you have 15 people watching you that have agreed on all these safety rules and that this is how we're going to do this safely, and you screw it up, you'll have 15 people telling you, you screwed it up. In addition to a very strict range safety officer that might even kick you off the range depending on what you did or give you a very, very stern warning saying... If you do that again, I gotta send you home. Yeah, you're out of here. So it promotes that that culture of safety. And I've seen a lot of where you guys have their own back range, and they they let it slip, and it just slips further yep. and further all the time. <laughs> Some of those idiots and, are on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of them shooting his hat off with a shotgun. You know, another one shooting himself in the leg. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they post them as great lunaring tools for us. And I hope they're smart enough. I know a couple of them are smart enough to sit there and talk about it and post it as a learning tool for everybody else. Right. So, yeah, you learn from their stupidity. and You don't have to do the same thing. But, yeah, that culture just, I think we need to keep this up. And I got this from Paul Lathrum at the Polite Society uh, podcast like yeah. seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And he got railroaded from it. And I hope you don't railroad me too out there, you guys. But, you know, send all your complaints to Ben at ModernSelfProtection.com. I can surely delete your email just like everybody else. <laughs> uh, but we should have a culture of safety. And there yeah, should, we, should. we shouldn't need laws. We I shouldn't agree. need anything. But all of us gun owners, we should have four or five of us standing up when somebody does something wrong and unsafe with a gun. When you're standing there talking and your finger is on the trigger and you're at the range trying to teach somebody and the gun goes off, uh, famous YouTube video that's going around, right? Yeah. And they go, did you mean to do that? And he goes, of course I did. Yeah. yeah we all, know you're, a, we all know you're a lying liar. Right. <laughs> you know, so if something like that happens, we should have like four people standing there go, hey, dude, take your finger off the trigger while you're talking. And then you wouldn't have that problem. Don't leave that gun cocked with your finger on the trigger while you're talking because that's bad juju. Oh, boy. Takes all kinds. But, yes, we should have a culture of safety. I 100% agree with that. And competition matches, they you know what? They have to enforce that level of safety or the match doesn't exist. Yeah, because too many people would get hurt, and then that would be it. The range would pop you out of there. The range would everything. kick you out. Yep. And no, and then, of course, nobody would want, would want to come. Would you want to go to a match where you where you think that there might be a pretty good chance of you getting shot? Yeah, every other week somebody yeah, gets yeah. shot. Yeah, nobody <laughs> no, would want to go. To I wouldn't go either. No. <laughs> what? No. you got a 50% <laughs> chance of having somebody get shot on the range today? Yeah. No thanks, I will go play somewhere else. You yeah, know? I agree. I can do dry practice. <laughs> I can go to another club. Okay, we're going to take a break pretty soon. We'll do another recording on the way home because uh, we'll be at the range in about five minutes and we got to pay and get checked in. I, I just want to say, all of you, before the break gets started here, Check us out at Modern Handgunners. We got some new videos uh, coming up soon, very soon. Modern Handgunners on YouTube or Modern Handgunners 
youtube.com and also Ben just recorded a new Shooters Club video so for all of you who support the efforts that Ben and I do on the Shooters Club for $8 a month or $75 a year we thank you, thank you, thank you um, get signed up if you're not signed up and check out I think Ben we got what seven, almost 80 videos up there now yeah, uh, they're all instructional how to and we're doing more and more and more, I got a couple in the queue one on a different way to draw your gun and one on standards mm -hmm. that me and Bob shoot a standard and uh, you know you, whenever you shoot a standard you're never where you want to be so I'll give you a hint on that one. Yep, yep. So we got some good Shooters Club videos. Uh, keep doing your shopping on my Amazon store. Uh, it's still active. It's still paying off. It's still there. And uh, I, I just, I so much appreciate all of you doing that. And uh, we're going to go on break now. For you, the break will be uh, maybe 30 seconds. For us, it's going to be a good uh, three to four hours at uh, competition shooting. You ready? Yeah, let's go shoot. All right. Ben, we finished the match. How did you like it? The match was a lot of fun. Um, it's always more fun if you shoot better. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I could not hit the broad side of the barn the first stage. The second stage, at least I could hit something, just not well. The third stage I was getting there, it wasn't until like the sixth stage that I actually was shooting like I should. Yeah. And that was the last stage. So the last stage, I smoked it. It was great. If I shot every stage like that, I would have been towards the top of the match. But, you know, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't hit the target with both hands when I was standing in front of it. <laughs> I I was the opposite. My first three stages, I shot great. And, uh, yeah, I got tired. That's the problem. I got tired. I'm just too much out of shape. And I got tired. I started losing concentration. You know, shooting is such a concentrating sport. It's a, it's a concentration game. It's mind over matter. And I just, my mind just started going elsewhere after about the third stage. That was my problem. Yeah, that's a hard one. I didn't have any problem with that. My workout program is working for that, so that's good. But, yeah, I just could not I could not get into the groove. And I just kept shooting. And then finally by the third stage, I was shooting so slow, but I was actually hitting the target. And then the fourth stage, I picked it up in the fifth. And then finally that last stage, I guess there was five. So the last stage is the one I just smoked. I was doing great. Yeah, just running and gunning like I should have been. Yeah. <sighs> but, you know. What are you going to do? So what do you think of the competition holster that uh, Concealment Solutions made you? Can I blame it on the holster that it was the holster's fault? That oh, yeah, so yeah, right. Sure. Um, actually, I won't do that, but really, that thing was smoking fast. That gun was out of the holster in my in my line of sight before I could even think about it. So I'm still thinking about drawing, and my gun is up in my face. And it, the first couple times, I kind of went, oh, there it is, and then I had to shoot. It just it threw my rhythm off a little bit. I'd like to say that was an excuse maybe for the first round, but the rest of it, yeah, I just couldn't shoot. But it came up fast. The competition holster from Jason's, Jason, Jason, Jason Christensen, Christensen yes. at Concealment Solutions. Jason, I screw up your name every time. I'm so sorry if you're listening to this, but you make some awesome holsters. Uh, if you need one, go over to his website, Concealment Solutions, and get it. It was, yeah, I'm, it was 
I was digging it. I didn't have to worry about it falling out. I was a little bit worried about that. A competition holster, uh, it didn't fall off my belt like some other competition holsters I've had. I've had that it, happen. <laughs> it, it was just solid. I didn't worry about it all day. It sat exactly where I was supposed to. Nobody asked me any questions about it or said your gun's falling off. Um, yeah, after shooting a competition with that holster and getting a one-second draw and less out of that thing at five yards, definitely two thumbs up on that competition holster that's uh that's gonna be my new baby i'm gonna wear that one all yeah <laughs> you can wear that one out so um we saw some different guns out there one thing we uh, both got to shoot i think for the first time which was kind of cool was a, a sig x5 oh those are smoking guns yeah if you get a chance nice. to shoot one shoot one if you get a chance to buy one buy one um, i think they're like three grand and it's a single action sig 226 is really what it is that's been zooted out and honed out uh, he had one that was smoking. Do they cost that much? Three thousand? I think so. Don't quote me on the price, Sig lovers. I'm not up on prices anymore because I haven't been working in the gun industry for a couple years as a retailer. So, but those things were—they've always been a smoking gun. They've always been gorgeous. The guy actually showed me pictures. He collects X5s, beautiful guns. The one he was carrying in his holster was just gorgeous. And then he let me shoot it. Trigger was awesome. Slide was cool. Um, to me, it felt like it cycled a little bit slow. I didn't know it if it did was cycle a little slow. I noticed that, or if it was just the competition spring he had in there. Might be. It could have been a number of things, but uh, beautiful gun. I shot a beautiful group at like twelve or fifteen yards on a piece of steel. I wasn't even sure I was hitting it. I just kept shooting it. I could see it rock a little bit, and then I lowered the gun. I could see this nice, like hand-sized group at fifteen yards. Yeah. Without trying, and I'm like, hmm. Maybe I need one of these. Yeah. Yeah, well, we always need them, right? But uh, the needs don't always translate to the budget. Yeah, gorgeous gun. Had a couple guys shooting 22s in our squad. Yeah, we did. We had one of our old students out there shooting a 22, and he's smoking fast. At the end, he pulled his 9mm out, his Glock with the window on it. He has a Romeo 1 on it. I think he shoots his 9mm faster than he shoots his 22 with he a does. dot on it. He does. Just smoking fast. It's all guy. about practice, though. He practices he with that a lot. Oh, I remember when he came to his cl our, our class. I'd like to take credit for it if you're listening. You know who you are. But, uh, no, I taught you some of the mechanics, and then you went and you worked at it. And we didn't see him for about a year, and then we saw him out on a competition, and he was smoking it. Yeah, just super well. fast. Yeah. You know, uh... It's interesting because a lot of people know I'm doing this uh, this test, and I was going to do it for a year. Now it looks like about it's going to be a year and a half, couple years. Um, so I shot my MP 2.0 compact today, and I noticed that with that gun I'm more accurate, but I can't quite shoot it as fast as my Glock. And I don't know why that is because I'm using the the MP with the Apex trigger, and I think it's probably just because I've had so many more tens of thousands of rounds that I've shot with a Glock, you know, but the accuracy with my M&P is, is better. I'm, I'm more accurate and flawless. No malfunctions. It's been great. Yeah. Mine's working good too. What can I say? Um, I'm yeah. on my backup gun, but it's shooting well. Yeah. The, uh, there's so, so much buzz out there right now about lots of new guns, but what seems to get lost in all the marketing hype of all the rest are just you know well-built uh, stock service guns like M&Ps and Glocks and um, 
and the Springfield XDs and the guns out there like that, that they're just, they're fine shooters and they're reliable. Pick your favorite one and go with it. Don't be influenced by anybody. Pick your one that you like and go. Smith yeah. & West is my favorite right now. I keep thinking I'm going to switch over to a SIG. I wouldn't mind one of the new M17s and put a dot on that. <laughs> yeah. You know, all that stuff. But other than that, pick which one you like and just go with it. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. Oh, the Glock is better. I can't believe you're shooting an M&P. What a piece of junk. Yeah, give me and, a break. You know, who cares? If you're shooting a Glock and somebody's shooting a 1911, I'll tell you what combat piece of Tupperware junk that is. That'll never last. Yeah. You know how many times I heard that piece of plastic will never last from a 1911 shooter, and now we all shoot plastic guns. Yeah. And by the way, i got to say, I saw something happen today, and I see this more often than I ever thought I would, and I normally see it in competition. Um, the guy that was on our squad shooting the uh, the nice SIG, uh, what is it again? Um, the X5. The X5, the SIG X5. Well, it's a single-action only gun. So what does that mean? It's got an ambi-thumb safety on it. Guess what he does? Draws out of the holster, first shot, nothing happens. I saw him jerk the trigger. He forgot to disengage the safety. I saw it. It was, it was plain as day. He didn't disengage the thumb safety. <laughs> so, you know... People fight me on this all the time, but I just I, it's it's based on not my opinion. It's what I see happen. If that can happen in a competition match, someone forget to take off the thumb safety, it most certainly can happen in real life. That's why I'm not a big believer in guns for self-defense with a thumb safety. I saw it. I saw it happen again today. And I'm different than you. I want my on and off switch. And I'm going to say that it happened more than once to that shooter, and it happened to more than one shooter on our squad. More, uh, yeah, more than one shooter. Yes. The other shooter on the squad, I know he shoots a Glock all the time, and he was shooting something else with a thumb safety. Yeah. And so he was shooting a 22. He, yeah, he went to he went to raise that gun at least once. I saw him pull the trigger, and nothing happened. And nothing happened. But he was such a great shooter, he figured it out fast. But it's still, I'm with you on the safety thing. But that you, quarter of a second, that half of a second that it takes you to realize, oh crap, I forgot to take off my thumb safety. That could be the difference. I think it's, you can't go back from gun to gun. I'm going to go back to my original thing. Right. Pick the one you want and go with it. If it's a Ruger that has a thumb safety on it, learn to run the dang thumb safety. Yep. If it's a 1911, learn to run the dang thumb safety. It's right. the new M6, 17, M60, M17, M18 SIG that has a thumb safety on it. Learn to run the, the thumb SIG safety. SIG X5, whatever it is SIG you're carrying. SIG X5. Make them all look the same. Make them all work the same. I don't think you'll ever have a problem. Um, here's if my, you do that. If you do that. And here's my training tip for you guys with the safeties on them. Don't freaking... I'm going to piss off some instructors here. So send your hate mail to Ben at Modern Self Protection. It's not Bob's fault. Um <laughs> When that thing comes out of the holster, you flip the safety off as soon as it rocks towards the target. That thing goes back on safe when it goes back to the holster. That's it. Don't be flipping that safety on and off. Put your thumb high up on that safety. Ride that safety all the time so it stays down when you got that gun out and you're ready to work with it. The only time you're not ready to work with a handgun is when it's in its holster. If the right. gun is out of the holster, you should be in working mode with that handgun and that safety should be off. If you train yourself every time you pick up that gun from anywhere and you turn off that safety and every time you put that gun down 
in a holster, in a bag, anywhere in your safe, and you flip that safety on, I can't guarantee it, but I will bet you, uh, I'll bet you a week's pay that you wouldn't miss the safety ever if okay. that's what you did. But, you know, some of you are going to be, I'm going to say some of you would cheat and go back and forth from different guns and you're not going to do the training. But if you do the practice, the simple practice, when you pick up the gun, the safety goes off. When you put down the gun, the safety goes on. That includes in the holster. I want to say you'll, I guarantee it, but there's always something that could happen. Yeah. But I guarantee that you won't miss it. I go back and forth still from a 1911 to my M&P, and I don't really? miss the safety. Mm, okay. Well, I trained for almost a decade on a 1911. Okay. And that's yeah. how I trained. When the gun comes out, safety goes off. Yeah. Now, you put a slide mount of safety, like a Beretta or something in my hand, yeah. and I will never be able to get that thing off. You know, like other people have said, if you're going to carry a 1911-style gun, fine, marry that system, and that's all you shoot. Uh, or if you're going to do something like carry a SIG single action only, marry that system. You know, because going back and forth, and I'm a believer, even with the way the trigger works on a handgun, if you're going to start with a double action trigger, if that's what you're going to carry, marry that, carry it all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Don't switch from your double action gun to your Glock, to your 1911, to your revolver, and back and forth and back and forth. I think you're really, uh, I think you're really um, causing trouble if you do that. Yeah, and I remember going to a Glock after shooting a 1911 for a decade, and I would draw that thing, and my thumb would be searching for the safety. Searching for the safety because yeah. it's not there to put my thumb where it goes. Right. I'm like I'm sweeping the safety. And so for a half a off. second, you're thinking about what do you need to do. Right. And so it took me a long time, and that's thousands of draws. So you kind of prove my point. Past that. You had to marry the system yep. of the Glock. You had to get remarried, remarry that system on the Glock. You were, to, you were used to the 1911. And when I went from a 1911 to a Glock, I went all in. I traded a 1911. I didn't have any money at the time, but I was going overseas to be a contractor, and they were going to hand me a Glock, and I had to qualify with this stupid thing. And my friend that got me the job, is he's like, by God, if you do not qualify with your handgun, I will wring your neck with my bare hands. <laughs> uh, he had a bunch of people do that. And he oh, goes, I'm not going to vouch for you. So I got me a Glock. I traded two 1911s for a Glock. I Glock 19, and I started on that thing. You and traded two 1911s? I traded two 1911s so I could get a Glock. Why did you do that? So I could get one free. Oh. I didn't have any cash. So you could get any, one free. Okay. And every penny I had, I had to buy 9mm ammo. I, yeah, I, I see. I see. I <laughs> see. And extra magazines and holsters yeah. and stuff. Well, you know, sometimes in life we have to do what we have to do. So, um, yeah, I traded all that. I wish I hadn't, but I did. Yeah. But, yeah, I had to marry the system, and I just I gave up my 1911 and never turned back. Yeah. So when I went from the Glock to the M&P, I married the system, and I never turned back. Well, that wasn't too much of a transition, was it? I mean, they're, they're very similar guns. Uh, well, that grip angle got me for a while. The grip angle, oh, you mean the, the grip angle of the M&P? The grip angle of the M&P versus the Glock. Because you were used to the Glock. I went to the, yeah, I was used to the yeah. Glock. I've been shooting yeah. that for five years, and I had, man, I probably had 50,000 rounds through a Glock by that time, if not more. Because uh, when you're overseas and you get free 9mm ammo, guess how much I'm on the range? Yeah. A lot. I was on the range every week. And I you know, a couple hundred, hundred rounds. And I'm going to make an observation, and I'm going to I'm gonna say it now. I've never really told it, told you that before. But I saw you for a couple of years when, when we first met and started working together shoot the Glock. And now I've seen you for several years shoot the M&P. And I think you, show, you shoot them both about the same. 
He's probably right, but I like yeah. the MMP better, so uh, I'm gonna stick with the MMP. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, and that's Actually, fine. I keep the more I keep thinking about it, and I just did a podcast on an MMP versus the Sig 320 with the windows on them. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking I just need to break down, spend the money, and go to a Sig with a dot on it. And I think I want the new M17 platform, M18 platform with the safety Double on action. It. It's double action. No, right? it's a single action. Oh, it's a single the, action? Well, it's the 320. Okay, so it's a single action only? It's it's the 320 military version with the safety. With the thumb safety. So I think I want to go back to that, put okay. a dot on it, and just go. So you're going to go back dot. to, you're going you're gonna to marry a system with the thumb safety again? Yeah, I like my on and off switch. Okay, all right. It gives me a better feeling going back to the holster. And that's from my armored car days. Okay. So I ran a 1911 in the armored car, and I would draw my gun all the time. Believe it or not, in California it was legal. I would draw my gun all the time. Carry it down my side. I wouldn't point it at people. But it worked great to get people out of my way. When people look funky, <laughs> I just grab my, I just draw my gun. Well, it worked forever. And, you know, but I'm running to the truck almost, and I did it frequently. I was one of the guys that walked super fast because you weren't going to sneak up behind me yeah. and bop me on the head and take the bag of money. And so I walked really fast, and I had a, a thigh rig that I was wearing because that worked better for me. But I could jam that thing in the holster while I'm doing something else and not worry about it. Because in okay. 1911, I'd flip the safety on, and then I'd put my thumb over the hammer, and then that would engage the grip safety too. So I've got the manual safety, the grip safety, and now I've got my thumb over the hammer, and I would just s- slam that thing into the holster like I teach people not to do yeah, <laughs> all yeah. the time. And I would just cram, slam, Doing what you teach bounce, now. and just stick it as hard as I could and flip the... And I was running a retention holster because it was carrying open. So I just safety on, thumb over the hammer, slam that thing in the holster, rotate the hood to lock this, the gun in the holster, and then I could do other things. Got it. So when okay. I, I missed that extra. I'm not going to be slamming guns in holsters anymore because the 1911 was the only one that I felt Yeah, there's you know, no reason to do that. In doing it. And then, yeah. And then on the other hand, I'm not an armored car driver anymore. I'm not a police officer. I have no reason to be slamming a gun quickly into a holster anymore. No. So, no speed reholstering. Nope. Alright, well, we're pretty much at the uh, end of our trip. So, Ben, thanks. Uh, thanks for spending this time in the mobile studio. And, uh, you know, folks, uh, those of you that are listening to this, uh, one more thing I'm going to say, one more plug. Uh, our Modern Handgunners channel on YouTube and, of course, the website modernhandgunners.com. We're really trying to grow that. If you have not subscribed to that, uh, check out those videos and subscribe because we're doing mostly gun re- gun reviews. And uh, shortly, Ben will be uploading the... Um, Reviews we did on the G48 and the G43X by Glock. So thanks for listening, folks. Have a good one. Well, that's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Handgun World podcast. Uh, next episode, I'm going to have some more modern survival and personal development information in there. I'm putting some things together that I've learned over the years and from my background in that before I got into um, sales uh, of, of security and access control products. I learned a lot back in the day, and I'll be putting more of that uh, in the next episode on May 15th. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, remember, be thankful every day. Be thankful for what you have, for God's blessings for you, because it's it's truly a blessing, folks, just for me to be even, even to talk to you.
You know, most of you know I'm a I'm a stage four cancer survivor, so it's a blessing for me just to do this podcast. So I want to remind you, evil does not exist in the holster, but in the hearts of men and women. Remember to read your Bible every day, stay grounded in the word, shoot straight, shoot safe, and I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Good.